0: Claire, mm-hmm. who's on the podcast today?
1: It's drummer musician Nick Reid, and his pronouns are he, him.
0: Like our last guest, Zoe, throughout this chat, Nick will make you feel like you're just hanging out with your best mate. Although you, Claire, almost kicked him out halfway through our interview because he didn't know what ABBA stood for.
1: I mean, I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed. Anyway, uh, we've known Nick for ages um, and we've always connected deeply through a shared adoration of food and art. So this chat's full of gorgeous stories about his time touring and travelling and cooking at home.
0: Yeah, and throughout our chat we learnt that Nick's creative practice and his relationship to food mirror each other beautifully.
1: Mm, And a big love of his is experimenting with curries and spices and he just simply puts on music and he intuitively allows the ingredients to guide him.
0: Yeah, he loves that idea of play and having the freedom to explore in the kitchen with no expectations and that's really been absorbed into the way he writes music.
1: Mm, Also, there's a language warning on this one, as usual, and I have misophonia, which you can Google. Just listen out for me freaking out when Nick talks about watching videos of someone eating a pickle.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We recorded this chat at our house on unceded Wurundjeri land And we extend our deepest respect to the Wurundjeri ancestors, elders and future leaders for having us.
1: Also, just before we start, we wanted to say a huge thank you to all of you for your incredible support of the podcast over the last two weeks. We're just so overwhelmed and loved up. We have had a lot of DMs and texts and also voice memos and we just keep rereading and re-listening because we're so grateful.
0: Mm. so because you can actually write all that up in the review sections of your podcast apps Mm. give us a rating and a review it helps us it helps other people find the show and it makes us feel good
1: yeah it helps us so much (laughs) Uh, anyway enough about us
0: let's go find out what Nick Reed eats
1: great idea
2: a musician, so I am a drummer by trade, and I play with an, a band called Cousin Tony's Brand New Firebird, and kicked off my solo project under the title of Kitch Kitchen, mm. which I feel like is really mm. appropriate for this mm-hmm. podcast, too. Isn't it? And that's like a, a bit of a fun <laughs> experimental pop-up, maybe, electronic sort mm. of project,
0: yeah. I'd agree yep. with that, from yep. what I've heard. It's very kaleidoscopic, it's mm. very colourful, and it's very joyful, and it does have that pop playful sensibility to it, but the production does borrow from more experimental music. That's the plan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Glad it's translating across working. too. Yeah.
1: And we've actually had a really fun time being part of that project. It's just occurred to me because yeah. you played on it.
2: That, yeah, yeah, I've played on it.
1: I did the album artwork.
2: Yeah, it's nice. a, been a really good exercise in like utilising the community around you. So, yeah, mm. Z, you have been part of it through playing on it but also just through supporting and both of you really just through talking and supporting and bouncing ideas off and showing I remember showing early demos to you guys and I guess like the enthusiasm you both had for that maybe meant more than you thought it did at the time and also through Claire's beautiful artwork as well so yeah it's been a wonderful project to just bring in all the people that I know in this kind of music creative world and relinquish a little bit of control through sort of sending ideas out there and being like, you can reinterpret this how you like. Yeah. So you you play the piano better than I can. How can you take this idea that I've written and maybe play it in a way that someone who can actually play the piano. Mm.
0: Letting go of that control is Mm. very hard to do though. Mm, So it's very inspiring to watch you collaborate with the people around you Mm. and bring the community in. And I think for us, food has been a big avenue into community too so the fact that we're here recording and talking about food and art i mean i've always been convinced that those things go hand in hand and that we've we... been
1: talking about this for a long time actually and we've had yeah. so many of these conversations on this couch with you nick and we probably should have just been recording them then, honestly. Yeah, I feel Perhaps. like
2: this is just a, another extension of many a uh, hangout in here. This will be the Maybe greatest less, less wine than, <laughs> yeah. than most times. We only had one glass so far.
1: We did have a- we had a, a well, lunchtime well, wine. Yeah. Don't tell the boss.
2: <laughs> Charge it to the account. And
1: you've got a full belly today?
2: Yeah, real full belly.
1: What's your day been like?
2: I had a smoothie this morning and then I ate- uh, a roti wrap I made like a really Yummy pinny curry Last mm. night There's like a little bit left So I put some in a roti And ate it And Then I came here And had a really Delicious pasta Made by The wonderful host Of What artists eat Salt and Fecho <laughs> Homemade pasta and everything—it was incredible. Yeah. And then a wine, and then now coffee.
0: Great, yeah, we needed that coffee. We've though, been really. on a journey. <laughs> <laughs> Could have had a nap after that. Maybe.
2: Yeah, I might need to eat hot pot at like 8 p.m. tonight.
1: That's your night ahead, that's isn't where it? I'm
2: going next. Yeah, I am off to Panda Hot Pot. <laughs> Insert sponsorship here. Open Actually, not it. sponsored.
1: Yeah. But very open to it. But right? Very
2: open to spicy <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'm going to go eat some spicy soup later tonight, um, which I've been talking about for ages. So. Yeah, you have.
1: Th- yep. We've been on this journey with you, but only through the tales that you've been telling about how much you love anything spicy. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we haven't made it to Panda Hot Pot with you, is a l- yeah, I'm very sorry about that. We will get there, but tonight's your maiden voyage.
2: It is the maiden voyage out into <clears> the spicy sea.
1: So what's, what's the deal with the chilli stuff? Are you new to this or have you always been a bit of a chilli boy?
2: I have what's always been... A bit of a chilly boy I Don't know why I think I guess like we were Mum and dad were pretty good at like We ate a lot of I guess like spicy foods growing up Nothing mm. too intense But like
0: mm.
2: Yeah I think I've always just liked Having a bit of spice in my food And I'm sure there's a bit of like A competitiveness About it too Like wow. I remember being In my teens And We were old enough to go to the Melbourne show by ourselves So probably like 14 or 15 and we found the um, the chili jam stall and asked for the hottest chili that they mm. had and then proceeded to spend the next 20 minutes running around <laughs> the melon show trying to find uh, vanilla ice cream to plunge our stole. tongues in. Yeah, yeah, or any dairy, anything to, yeah. yeah, any relief that we could find.
0: That's amazing. Would you consider that one of your earliest food memories or take us back, you know, even further than that? What, what do you remember?
2: There's one image that comes into my head. And I don't know how old I am at the time, but I'm at my grandma, my nan's house, and very 70s. So if you imagine really 70s, kind of like I can't it's imagine quite dark. That. love it. Yeah. Maybe like 5 p.m., like Nana dinner time. <laughs> she would make the most incredible. I reckon it's still the best lasagna I've ever had. Like wow. she'd make the best lasagna wow. ever. Like big bechamel sauce, mm. the whole works, like probably, mm. you know, spent hours making it. Yeah. And I think that's. My earliest food memories eating this incredible lasagna in my nan's house in Boxhill North. Oh, in beautiful. this sort of like in at least in my mind, this sort of like seventies world.
1: Oh. That's Even though the dream. it was definitely the nineties.
2: <laughs>
1: but- <laughs> <laughs> it was seventies Wonderland.
0: Yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah, totally. That's my dream. Mm-hmm.
1: And so you lived in Vietnam when you were 18. Like what was the food situation there? Because you obviously love some spice, mm. but also what were you eating when you were living in that part of the world?
2: Yeah, I was only there for four months, but I was vegetarian. I think I just turned vegetarian maybe like either like the year before or like six months before. So lots of um, – I was eating around a lot of meat a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. I was trying to order a lot in broken Vietnamese
0: yeah,
2: and would go into like the beautiful first stands or stalls and basically ask for like what would translate to be like – beef soup, no meat, please. And you just saw the look of bewilderment on their face to be like, you just ordered the beef soup, but then you asked for not, like, no beef. And, like, there'd be a little bit of a charade Mm. situation. And then most of the time they'd kind of get it. I'm sure there was a way more direct way to order what I was wanting um, or maybe a better place to go to. But, yeah, lots of soups for Mm. breakfast because I was teaching over there. In the morning there was a... The first stand across the road And we'd have fur for breakfast in the morning Wow And then sometimes for dinner too With a beer I watched a lot of people eat some weird stuff too Mm -hmm. Which is fun and exciting And you know as an 18 year old
0: Who's freshly overseas Yeah Do you think by that point You were already quite adventurous As an eater Like was it quite a shock Or were you sort of ready for The difference in what you were served over there
2: No I think I was pretty ready Like we lived in Burwood So Near Box Hill. So we had amazing Asian cuisine at our doorstep pretty much. So, yeah, yeah, like we were pretty lucky growing up. I think I was pretty adventurous already. Mm.
1: So you have travelled a lot. Let's start with India. What can you tell me about what you were eating in India?
2: As a vegetarian, that was like paradise to me. Mm -hmm. Having obviously was in Vietnam, as we've spoken about before, and that trip involved a bit of travel between Japan as well and China too. And China and Japan were quite difficult as a vegetarian. There was lots of, I think, a lot of compromises or a lot of just eating around stuff, but then getting to do a trip to India later, a few years later, was just magical. Just the array of food, the variety of food between the North and the South, it's, like, so varied and different, you know, all such incredible, like, regional dishes. And I think, yeah, to have, like, such a strong vegetarian presence over there, like, I was just in heaven. And that mm. was, like, yeah, pretty powerful for me. I think it's just really st- stuck with me. And after that trip, I really really went down a rabbit hole of just, like, teaching myself how to use all the different spice combinations and making different curries. And I think mm. I'm now at the point where I feel pretty confident just to ad-lib yeah. a curry here and there, and I'm quite happy with how it you That's know, such it a beautiful out. thing yeah. when you start to it's be able town. to,
0: like experiment with recipes and just make it up as you go along Long. and try and add a little bit more of this, take a little bit of that out and tweak things. And Totally. Yeah. yeah.
2: You can kind of just like really feel the food that mm. way as opposed to reading. Really, I mean, you know, I still use recipes yeah. all the time, but like when you can just kind of like wing it and, you know, chuck some music on and yeah, you're almost turning your brain off and turning your, your senses on a, mm. a bit more and mm. kind of just like, yeah, feeling the food a bit. And letting it kind of speak to you as you're cooking. Oh,
0: I mm.
1: love that. Did someone teach you how to cook? Just thinking about your your nana. Was she a nana or nona?
2: Nan. She's so we nan. call we call her nan. We call her nan. She didn't teach me to cook. Mum, mum was the big one mm. who taught me to cook, particularly baking. I mean, I just have really vivid mm. memories memories as a kid. We would help mum bake and we'd help Mm -hmm. mum make muffins for, you know, like the week to Mm -hmm. take to school and all that sort of stuff. So we'd be always making like some sort of treat or some sort of sweet to take to school. I think the first thing I probably ended up learning how to cook in the kitchen sort of more dinner-wise was probably spaghetti bolognese, I think. Like I have a really strong memory of learning how to cook that. Yeah, so mum really laid the foundation really really strongly and then when i stopped eating meat at i think i was 17 Mm. mum was like well i'm not cooking two meals (laughs) so you're on your own uh which i totally respect and understand and i think there might have been an element of her being like he won't he won't last (laughs) he won't stand a chance (laughs) and here we are all these years later But, yeah, and that just forced me to cook after that. I was like, yeah, that's cool. Like, you don't have to cook two meals. I'll make my own way now or, Mm. like, I'll make my own stuff.
0: Mm.
2: And then I remember, I haven't thought about this in ages. And then I remember, yeah, like, so I would start cooking my own meals and... Once a week, I would cook a vegetarian meal for the whole family. That's very generous of you after nice. they refused to
0: cook vegetarian food for you. <laughs> I like, think
2: there was definitely moments where they also cooked one vegetarian meal for the whole family. You can have a salad. <laughs> Although I have heard that you're a big salad family. Yeah, you guys so need salads. You know, I'm not wrong there. Yeah, yeah, there's always a salad. <laughs> So, I guess if I couldn't be bothered, there was mm. salad and toast.
0: Yeah. Also, why did I immediately say, like, salad is the side thing? Salad can be the main salad thing. Salad is totally the main is, thing. Yeah. yeah I've yeah. been getting a lot of enjoyment out of salad mm, recently. Absolutely. But-, mm. but who wants to hear about that? <laughs> Silence. <laughs> <laughs> I, <guess. laughs>
1: I just feel like the way that you approach food is so exciting and creative because we have these conversations all the time mm. and that's why... Half
2: of my conversations with anyone are about food.
1: Yeah, yeah. So we were thinking just about you and food and what you make and why you do it. Do you, do you feel like how you cook and how you make, like what sustains you, do you feel like that's an extension of your creative
2: practice? I think so. Mm-hmm. I think there's like an element. I mean, I like to play this game. This might be a total tangent, but I'm going to go with it anyway. Here for it. I call it Crumb Kitchen because a an old friend who I haven't seen for quite a while, but he has a project called Forever Son Jack and he has this song called Crumb Kitchen and it's all mm-hmm. about when you're down to the, you know, the crumbs in your pantry and your fridge, yeah. but you have to try and whip something together. Mm-hmm. So I love playing that game at mm-hmm. home. Like I find it quite creative. It's almost like that extension of your creative practice where you limit yourself to all the things you need to use or like I guess for a long time I was making music with just a computer and a keyboard I didn't have any mics for a lot of it and I mean I've got a bit more gear now but at the start yeah it was just me and a computer and my keyboard my midi keyboard Mm. and I just had to try and make music with that and Mm -hmm. so I guess like yeah you know, Z and I—we've talked about this before—about yeah. setting yourself parameters and giving yourself boundaries to work within, yeah. and mm-hmm. that actually mm-hmm. helps you heighten your creativity as opposed mm-hmm. to um, hinder it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think I think in that sense, they
0: definitely work in the same way. It's part improvisation, mm. part complete in the moment, intuitive creating, and you know, it never really goes too badly even if it doesn't turn into something no totally you expected but but i think that's how you learn as well you make these mistakes of like whoa i put way too much cumin in that Mm -hmm. or like holy shit nutmeg was not the right choice (laughs) or like i need to cook that carrot for yeah a a minute longer or whatever (laughs) it's a really nice way to to learn about food and (laughs) i think like with music as well that's kind of a way to learn is just Sort of stripping the expectation And having a play And same with art Or whatever it is You can kind of approach Learning about cooking in the same way
2: uh, You mentioned play too Which I think Like that was a really deliberate Theme I guess To cling on to In my music writing because I, like, really kicked off writing my own stuff. Like, I'd been demoing for years and learning how to use a lot of, like, logic and a lot of, like, production stuff, mm. teaching myself. But it wasn't until I was I was studying my Masters of Teaching and we were doing heaps of reading on play-based learning and, like, mm. how kids learn really well when you infuse, like, the idea of the concept of play and, like, openness and freedom to kind of explore into whatever they're doing. And I think I'd been reading so much about that that it really started to seep into my music writing and I kind of started to embody that where I'd be like, oh, there's no, like I don't need to make anything amazing in this one session. I'm just going to sit at my keyboard or my laptop or whatever I have in front of me and just like play with it and see mm-hmm. what sounds I can make or mm-hmm. if a composition, I can if I can create a skeleton of a composition, mm-hmm. not putting any parameters or any expectations, sorry, on that. And, yeah, I think that play is really important. And I think we kind of lose that a little bit the older we get in our adult lives. And I think trying to reclaim a bit of that sense of play and wonder and, Mm. you know, a bit of silliness as well. And kind of seeing where that takes you,
0: whether it's in the kitchen or in the studio. Exactly. Well, we are going to play a little game now. We are. Mm. Nick, who's your favorite cook?
2: I... I'm obsessed with Hedy McKinnon at the moment and all of her cookbooks. Beautiful. Shannon Mm. Martinez is also an honourable mention as well. Lovely.
1: Mm. And apart from me, who's your favourite artist?
2: Um, Claire (laughs) Lefebvre. But you've, Claire, introduced me to Beck Smith's art from Melbourne and she's amazing. I'm really into all her stuff. Love you, Beck. Apart Um, from
0: music when you're cooking, mm -hmm. what's your favourite kitchen sound? The kettle. It's the ultimate kitchen sound. It's such a varied sound that changes over time. It's quite a musical thing.
2: It is, yeah. A really slow simmer and then it ends uh-huh. with... I mean, it depends on what kettle you have too. Yeah. Uh, ours, is, ours doesn't end. There's no, no whistling going on does in our ours. Kitchen. I don't
0: think many people have a whistly kettle anymore. Should we bring Let's you back whistling kettle? I think we should.
2: I don't think I want one. I think I like I like the slow bubble that mine does at the moment and then you just get a really satisfying like little... <laughs> at the end when it's done... <laughs>
1: Because you've waited twenty five minutes for it, (laughs)
2: Mm -hmm. and then I mean, and I love the sound of like filling up a cup or a mug Mm -hmm. with hot water. It's a really nice sound. That's a beautiful
1: sound. That Mm. over mouth sounds any day. Oh,
2: mouth sounds, no, thank you. Get in the bin. Although I did watch a video of a woman eating a pickle, (laughs) and (laughs) found it
0: like a bit (laughs) (laughs) eerily satisfying. Like I was a bit bit worried about skin crawl. (laughs) (laughs) But surely the sounds of the pickle would have been more audible oh. than the sounds of the mouth.
2: Uh, it was a bit of both, really. I mean, the, cr- the pickle crunch was the big one, but there are some pretty intense mouths. Did <laughs> she did that. she
0: drink any of the pickle water, pickle brine? No, but have we talked about this off air? Yes. Okay,
2: great. <laughs> so, I this is a really good opportunity for me because I'm trying to work out whether because I love I love drinking pickle juice. But I know, it's not like I I don't want to drink a cup of it. It's like I'll eat a pickle and then I'll sip mm. some juice. Or sometimes <laughs> yeah. I'll just sip the juice straight yeah. out of the jar. It's, and
0: I'm trying to work out whether that nice. is like psychopath behaviour or not. Not a life. No, it's no, no, no. one of the most satisfying things ever. It's full <laughs> okay, so cool. of
1: electrolytes. It's nature's hydrolite. Yeah. I'm
0: feeling very validated, <laughs> both of you right now. Thank you.
1: Yeah. It is. It's very, 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 very good for you. Yeah, and
0: we drank some last night. Last
1: night we were trying to clean out the fridge so that you could do your shopping today and come put half of your stuff in our fridge. <laughs> and Z <laughs> so pulls out this huge, gorgeous, elaborate jar of pickle juice that, mm. like... You know, we just wanted to leave it there forever. But it's that thing where it's like, dude, prime real estate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I was like, maybe we'll just decant it. And then we decided to go sip for sip. And then I stood there like a little kid holding like, I don't know, like a giant thing of soup. And I just like with two hands was like, glug, 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 glug. It I is- feel like
2: I'm in hmm. good company here. I also, I do know that tennis players drink it. Oh. Oh. I mean, and that, I think that's where my cognitive dissonance was coming in because I was like, okay, I'm not an athlete. <laughs> Is it still okay for me to drink pickle juice? Because they drink it, I think, because it, it helps them with cramps. They'll sometimes request pickle juice the on museum. court. Wow. Yeah.
1: What's your favorite kitchen smell?
2: Uh, Please I, don't say I, pickle jar. I can't. No, it's not that. I can't go past onion and garlic oh. and oil in pan. Mm-hmm. Mm. Like the base of all good meals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that alone, you don't need anything That's else. That's a clear winner. Yeah.
1: Always.
2: What's the latest thing you've learned to cook? I have been learning a lot about trying to cook like Sichuan cuisine like mm-hmm. chinese Sichuan cuisine yeah not very well i don't think mm-hmm. yet but um yeah through watching a lot of shannon martinez's videos online and like reading her cookbooks and stuff trying to do a lot of vegetarian or- and or vegan um szechuan cooking has been really really awesome it feels like a totally new way to cook so it's been quite exciting to try yeah. and explore that i've made Danda, like vegetarian danda noodles.
1: Oh, my gosh. And
2: a vegetarian mapo tofu mm. so Yum. far. Ooh. And I don't want to generalise here, but what I've heard is that like texture is a huge thing in Chinese yeah, cooking, I've heard this. which we yeah. don't really appreciate or we no. don't take into account. So like mouthfeel is a yeah. term yes. that gets thrown around a lot, mm. which is amazing. I don't know. It's just like a, such a sense that we don't think about. It's Like it's whether true, something's yeah.
0: slimy or crunchy or whatever in the mouth. So. Mm. And yeah. the slimy thing we sort of totally veer away from in Western mm. food, anyway.
2: Yeah, we don't really get it, do we? Oh, no, we don't get it. No, we're missing and I, out. I don't, I, and I don't think I get it really. To yeah. be honest, I'm, I get
1: it. I love it. Give me all the slimy.
2: Wow, really? Love it. Yep. Cool. Mm-hmm. You must. You must teach me. I've, you yep. must teach me the way of the mouth mm. slime.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Just start with the pickle juice. Mm. A okay. chocolate
0: custard. That's pretty chocolate slimy. Custard. That's oh. slimy. Yeah. Mm. Oh man. Yeah.
1: I love I'm lactose intolerant. I love me a big tub of chocolate custard. <laughs> yeah.
2: like does it. your belly love it?
1: My belly loves it, my bowel doesn't. My belly does. <laughs> <like> Bow bingo. But <laughs> <laughs> it's more bowel It's bowel roulette. Anyway. Yeah. I'm sure all of our listeners are very excited to hear about that.
0: Maybe we should talk about the hits. I think we should move away from the bad food experiences now, but as a drummer in a band who has done some touring yourself, Mm. how do you eat on tour? Like, have you had any hits or misses?
2: Well, I think the funny thing about touring is that I develop and we all actually, everyone in the band, I think, has really developed a real appreciation for the shit food that you get along the way. Like, Mm -hmm. we call them fuck buckets and (laughs) it's it's basically just the enormous (laughs) giant... Buckets of coffee that you get from <laughs> service stations that are, like, hot enough to power an entire country. Yeah. And they last forever. We've all grown really fond of them. Mm-hmm. And we'll probably drink far too much coffee on the road. Yeah. To the point of giving myself at least an anxiety attack at some point. <laughs> I mean, it really depends. So, lots of, lots of those big coffees. Yeah. If we're playing a venue that looks after you well, the rider will be quite good, so that dinner might be covered. Mm,
0: that would be a relief. Um,
2: sometimes it's like your cheese platter, which is really nice, and mm. or sometimes it's like a full meal, which is great. Yeah. yeah. Or sometimes it's just like, here's a slab of beer and some some chips. Oh. Um, and I don't drink before I play, so I'll be like, chips, please. <laughs> I think the, the reality of touring in Australia is that you usually tour like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then you'll either come home Sunday night or Monday morning. Mm. You'll go back to work during the week mm-hmm. and then you'll do it again the next weekend. Mm-hmm. If you're lucky enough, like we were lucky enough to go overseas for three weeks to play in the UK a couple of years ago. So, because that was way more consistent. It's a bit more intensive. we it didn't More intensive, but because yeah. it's consistent, we could like do a little shop and like we had, I guess, like oats and peanut butter and muesli and stuff like that for the mornings yeah. and bananas and a bag of fruit and stuff that was a little... A bit more sustainable mm. and a bit more healthy. Yeah, mm. it really ebbs and flows in terms of the um, the yeah. quality of food that you're eating. Sometimes we just live off yellow food. <laughs> for, yeah, for, for a few days at a time or a few weeks at a time. And
1: you haven't been able to travel in like what two years?
2: Yeah, touring stopped. So we were meant to go to South by Southwest in two thousand and and when did the pandemic start? Nineteen twenty 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 early twenty. So yeah, we were meant to fly. On, like, the Thursday, and then South by got cancelled, I think, on the Wednesday or the Tuesday. So, God. yeah, so, and then, yeah, haven't been able to go on overseas or go anywhere really to tour or barely play shows in Melbourne until now. Yeah. yeah.
1: And um, how's the pandemic impacted your relationship to food?
2: I got really good at cooking, if I magically yeah, so myself. I think so. a lot of people did. Yeah, like, I, I that was my was. outlet, you know, my my work outside of music. More than oh halved, I think. But then that's when I started studying teaching. So like, I'd be studying during the day, and then that was food and cooking was my like outlet to not look at a screen and not read mm. academic journals. And mm. and then I would just cook and look up heaps of cookbooks. And you know, my partner and I, Pete, a while ago, we made a deal that we would try and make one new recipe from a cookbook once a week. Mm-hmm. And which we started, and then now it's basically like most of our recipes are from cookbooks, and we'll re- we revisit some and stuff mm. like that. But yeah, yeah. And that was a really big That's time beautiful. for that. Like we would just go and like flick. We've got I've got heaps of cookbooks at home, so we just do. flick through I cookbooks, love your cookbooks, find recipes that we haven't cooked before, or ones that we have and we really liked. And it was a nice way to spend a lot of time in a little. We were in a little part, a little apartment in Thornbury. Then, Yeah. the first lockdown, particularly, I loved. Mm. The, latter, the
0: later ones, maybe not as much, but yeah. The, the final was, 10
1: were a bit, a bit tricky. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, I think people stopped cooking at like number three mm. and yeah, then yeah. by the number seven or whatever it was, it was like, just give me the phone. I'm going to order the food. Ooh, it's yeah. in bed. Bring it to my bed. Yeah. I'll yes. leave the front door open. Chew walk it, for it through me. the house. Chew the food for me. Yeah. I cannot even function. Big bird, little bird it.
1: Yep. yeah Yeah. Mama Penguin, that Mama shit. Mama
0: Penguin, that shit to me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Banana bread and sourdough really uh, dropped down the charts by yeah, about. Yeah. I feel like July. No, September twenty twenty one. Everyone I was mean, like,
2: "Fuck that shit." I was mm. big. So, I mean, I was a big sourdough bandwagoner in that mm. first one. I haven't yeah. made it since. I know Z. You. I ob- think I gave you some starter. Yeah, you're obviously like on. a. You're a tried and true sourdough I was bread before, maker. Yeah, let I mean. it be known. Before, so before it was you've cool. Been, You've been doing it for a long time. Yeah. I was definitely just like, "This is cool now." I'm I mean, I just this.
0: I just grew up eating the best bread, and then when I started to realize what people were eating here, I was like, "What is what is this shit? I need to do something. I hey, need to figure out." Don't knock Wonder White. <laughs> it's just not for me. It's not knocking, just stating my preference. <laughs> don't knock <yuck> my yum.
1: <laughs> we actually can we explain that. Before we I, I do love move on. that. Yeah. Do you want to explain want the to explain- uh don't yuck my yum?
2: Don't yuck my yum uh is something that Peter and I say a lot. <laughs> and I don't know where Pete picked it up, but I think it I think it, it has its roots, I'm pretty sure, in the kink world, like kink and sex yeah. yeah and you know you don't want to yuck someone else's yum so you yeah. don't want to make someone feel bad for like enjoying something but now it's just <laughs> entered the lexicon for every everyday life so <laughs> it, it should yeah it's out it's out of the out of the bedroom and, and now it's
0: in, being co-opted
1: the... by all of us yeah. and now
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i'm sorry if i've yucked anyone's wonder white yum <laughs> um, i still prefer it for <laughs> toasties and for fairy bread I mean, the pandemic for some of us meant that we had to be a bit more frugal. And, you know, as artists, we're not strangers to the idea that we have to live off not much sometimes. And part of the idea for this podcast was to examine the archetype of the starving artist. So how do you feel about that term and how how like what sort of things does the term starving artists bring up for you personally I I get I mean I guess I've been
2: I've been pretty privileged and lucky that I I've never felt like a starving artist I think and I think it might even just be the fact that I haven't really considered myself an artist maybe until recently yeah like yeah You know like my musical career so far has been as a drummer playing in bands and you know playing music with other people and playing with other people's and you know playing other people's music that they've written and supporting them and you know recording for them and touring for them but I've been a poor uni student but up until recently I maybe haven't considered myself so much an artist until yeah until now that I've got my own project and I'm kind of throwing my own ideas out Mm. into the world but
0: Of course. Um, It can be hard to call oneself an artist. mm. It's a a thing that even very, very successful people struggle with. You were studying music at the time. Mm. You were already an artist then. It's just how we identify with that term. Yeah, totally. That makes all the difference.
1: So how do you think artists could be supported to stop themselves from starving? You don't have to change world hunger or anything in the next sentence, but if you've got any ideas about through like your own experiences or stuff that you've spoken about with other people or...
2: It's an interesting question. If if I can, I might zoom out a bit. Mm-hmm. And instead of looking at maybe the artist itself, like look at our society as a whole in itself and like yeah. instead of maybe thinking about how we can support artists not to, you know, go hungry... I think it might be, at least for me, more constructive to think about how we can make everyone not feel like they are going hungry to maybe help people feel like they can unlock some creativity in their life through not having to worry about putting food on the table. Yeah. So, like, I'm a huge proponent of, you know, allowing a universal basic income for everyone where everyone has enough money to put food on the table and to shelter themselves and meet their their fundamental human needs. Well, I'm very privileged in that I haven't had to worry about whether I'm going to put food on the table or not even as a starving uni student like I was working but I have a safety net that I can I you know I always knew that there was a safety net you know of being able to move back in with my parents if I needed <clears> to at any yeah. point. So that's the luxury that I have. But I think, you know, there's a lot of people that don't have that. And so if there's a safe, if they have a safety net through a UBI, they can maybe take risks they didn't, that aren't afforded to them at the moment, too. Mm -hmm. So I was reading a bit about this a couple of years ago, and I think there were studies. The benefit to the, the community that trialed this UBI were. There was obviously money spent in putting money out into the community to make sure everyone was met, but then the amount of like hospital admissions went down, or the amount of people were less stressed, so they weren't sort of like burning them out so much. And like all of these things started happening. And like I just have a really strong belief that if people's basic needs are met, they can either take risks that they might not be afforded now, but they can also maybe unlock a bit of creativity in their life as well. And, you know, it doesn't have to be to make anything, but just to, you know, think differently So because they're not under like perpetual stress of Mm. going Mm. hungry or, you know, like missing rent or whatever Mm. it might be. I think, yeah, I think through making sure that people feel supported and their needs are met in an equitable way, I think that could make the society look a lot better. Yeah. More creative. Absolutely. Mm. I think that would help people be more creative or help me people feel more fulfilled.
1: Yeah, if you're too stressed, if there's just too much going on, if you can't um, get out of that starving headspace of just being in absolute survival mode, that's, that's not sustainable.
0: Mm. You know? Yeah, definitely. Go with me here because I'm not mm. sure of the answer myself, but mm. tying in some sort of food initiative mm. with this safety net, Because of the things that we've talked about, you know, through being able to express yourself more creatively or maybe just feel connected to your food supply and Mm. feel connected to what you're feeding yourself or all of these things. If there was some universal basic food education, does that make sense? Localization, localisation,
1: yeah. It's it's that thing of knowing where your food comes from. But it's difficult when you live in the city. Mm. But knowing who your neighbours are, being able to shop at your local market and the idea of knowing how to live seasonally. Mm. And then that then threads itself into caring for the planet because you protect what you love. So if you're going to be taking stuff from the earth and growing it and eating it, you're not going to be destroying it. I guess like with education, Nick, you're on the front line of all of this seeing how different it is to like when we were kids, Mm. market gardens or community gardens and stuff and kids actually learning about how to grow stuff. Like I have no clue.
2: Yeah. I mean, currently teaching in primary level in the northern suburbs of Melbourne, which is a bubble in its own right, but it's a beautiful Mm. bubble to be in. I mean, I think all the schools I work at have some sort of kitchen garden or community garden sort of Mm. education program, whether it's through a subject like enviroscience, one of the schools has. Wow. But yeah, there's lots of just lots of emphasis on just getting kids out and mm. and growing and, and so learning how our food grows and how mm. to care for our food and how to grow your own food too. Which I think is a skill that you you will hopefully have for life once you've learned it or developed an appreciation for that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I I totally agree. I think like having local food initiatives that Mm. instill that knowledge and that appreciation for both food and for the like the natural world are really important. And then through that you know the, the fruits of that labor could be di- distributed amongst the community in some sort of equitable yeah. way too to ensure that people are, do, are having food on their table. And I think there's like I mean there's ama- so many amazing um, non-for-profits that do that work yeah. at the moment. I guess it's a shame that it falls in the lap of NGOs that are often underfunded and don't have a lot of
0: money then yeah. to do that work, as opposed to maybe like mm. government to do that work too. Yeah. But I guess no, you're you're definitely pointing towards, I guess, like the power that food knowledge has mm. to create awareness and connection. It's yeah, it builds community, doesn't that, it? That builds community and it builds yeah. self awareness, self. Worth, yep.
1: And resilience, I think, too. And resilience.
0: Um, yeah. And it
1: connects generations and communities as well. Mm. It's that thing where time and time again you hear about people who couldn't communicate verbally for whatever reason were communicating through food. Sorts it's people on opposing, you know, say political or different sides of different things, people from different countries that don't have a history of being friends, you know, being able to come together and mm. at least at least have the food that can connect them and then it's the thing that kind of starts to get the ball rolling of humanizing people
2: yeah Mm. and what a beautiful way to do that too like just going back to the community garden analogy or Mm. this you know um, context is that like if you can connect not just over the dinner table but from the very inception of the produce Mm. that you're using yeah so you building community around the garden and then you can build community around you know harvesting that food and then wherever that food ends up, like, there's a community that has to work together to cook with it and serve it up and eat it and, Mm. you know, discuss or talk or hang out or whatever or drink over that food too. So I think, like, if you can trace the community from farm to table essentially, Mm -hmm. it's kind of a pretty cool thing and I hadn't really thought about it until now. But trying to build those institutions, I think, around something like that is a pretty wonderful thing.
0: Yeah.
1: And on the more, I guess, the stressful side of things, To take it away from that beautiful utopian ideal. <laughs> do you feel like your cooking habits change when you're stressed out or you're burnt out or you're just not really feeling it? Or do you feel like you have something that's quite consistent because you know how much cooking just changes things for you in a beautiful way?
2: Yes and no. So, <laughs> yes, I just like say, fuck it, let's get takeaway yeah. pretty often, which is, you know, great. Sometimes my like cooking gets, if I'm a bit stressed out, it gets a bit frantic, like. Things that like maybe wouldn't go together start to go together. It's like my synapses start to cross over <laughs> and it's, I don't know, mayonnaise on two-minute noodles, I think I said before,
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> might end up happening. That's never happened, mind you. But, I kind um, of want to
1: try that now.
2: Yeah, yes. true fusion food. Mm. Sharehouse fusion, I think is That is, is definitely what
1: sharehouse it. fusion. That is Camping the new fusion.
0: Melbourne food trend yeah. right
2: there. Mayonnaise, two-minute noodles, you heard it here first. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
1: fish flakes on the top.
0: Yeah, bonito flakes.
2: Um, but also I think like if I am feeling a bit stressed out, like I just go for easy stuff, like, you know, pastas with pesto sauce from a jar mm.
0: mm-hmm.
2: never goes astray or just like a really simple it's stuff. lentil curry it's like mm. lentil curry has actually always been a, um, a bit of like a nourishing, homey, warm, mm. need some love kind of yeah. food for me. So yeah, a yeah. big bowl of food. lentils yeah. as well. So, yeah, it kind of can go one, or two, one of two ways, really.
0: It brings it all together, doesn't it? How when you are very stressed and run down, it's really difficult to build up the motivation to want to do anything mm. like that. It's really nice to hear that when that happens for you, you think, what are the homey, what are the nourishing, what are the nostalgic what are those dishes Mm. that I can make that can like pull me out of this? Mm. And sure, sometimes you can't pull yourself out of it and it's like, let's get some takeaway. And there's nothing wrong with that because it's fucking satisfying sometimes (laughs) and you just got to do it. It all kind of connects with what we were talking about earlier. Like if you're paralyzed by stress about money, about housing, Mm. about your safety, it's going to be very hard to, muster up the enthusiasm to be able to cook a meal. Mm. You might eat consistently unhealthy, quick processed food that's cheap to buy, which then creates a downward spiral of physical and mental health. It's just easy to see how quickly that can happen.
2: Yeah, I think when your whole, your whole brain is just focused on getting through yeah. And in survival mode, like, you obviously don't have a lot of brain capacity to mm. then throw a meal together, let alone enjoy throwing a meal together too. So mm. I have a real soft spot for um, packet soups, like packet chicken noodle soups and, like, cheese toasties because that was often, like, you know, sometimes some Sunday nights mum would be like, I'm tired and I'm not fucking cooking anything. Mm-hmm. It's a, you know, help yourself situation and we'd often resort to those things. And so, yeah, I've got a really soft, real soft spot for, like, Packet noodle soups and cheese on toast and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, they are also things that I can, and I'm sure lots of people resort to when you maybe feeling a bit burnt out or stressed.
1: Mm. Second round of little little quick fires. Mm
0: -hmm. What is your favourite utensil or gadget in the kitchen?
2: I reckon it's a a dual tie between the um the trusty wooden spoon. The wooden spoon, I still think, I think <laughs> tells a story. If you cook with the wooden spoon and make a curry, like that curry is still kind of in there the next. Like, <laughs> you, you know, you've washed it properly. Yeah. But it might like, the you know, the turmeric the might have made it like ripple. super yellow or something. So
0: <laughs> It Tum- tells us. Within story. every wooden spoon
2: is a story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and also, I just love the garlic crusher because God, dicing garlic just frustrates me. <laughs>
1: Flavour-wise, are you going for sweet, sour, salty, spicy, or umami?
2: I think we all know that I'm going mm. spicy.
1: Spice bomb boy. Yeah, I knew
2: it. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Followed closely by umami. Mm. Yeah. Umami. Can
0: you share a kitchen disaster story or a funny story?
2: When I was living up with mum and dad, I'd started cooking. I think this is one of the times when, you know, mum was like, I'm not cooking for you, so I cooked by myself. Totally fine. And, as I started cooking, our neighbor came over and dropped in for a drink, which is probably why mum was like, "I'm not cooking <laughs> and so I started cooking and as we've been talking about, I'd like chili a lot, and I think the first thing I must have thrown in the pan or was like, you know your garlic and your onion, and uh, maybe heaps of chili. I don't know mm. and I burnt the chili, Oof. and then everyone in the house, so there's like yeah. mum and dad, my brother, and our neighbor in there and and myself are like coughing, spluttering, (laughs) like, struggling to breathe. it's so intense. My dad's like, like, stop burning the jelly, as if I could just stop it at any moment. (laughs) And I was like, I didn't mean to do it It as an accident. (laughs) Crying into, like, you know, everyone's just sneezing. Windows are open. It's, like, in the middle of winter. Doors are open too. Dad's like, it's not funny. And I'm like, it's not (laughs) meant to be funny. (laughs) (laughs) Our poor neighbor's like, what have I walked into? it all blew over and it was all fine but then we I did a bit of like I think I googled like burnt chili or something and found that there was a case in America where in a commercial kitchen in a uh, shopping center someone had burnt chili and it had entered the like the ducted <laughs> oh, system and they no. evacuated the whole shopping center under the guise of like there's a bio like oh. terrorist attack like we're being attacked and all it was was chilli in the house. So I essentially bioterrorized my family. <laughs> they can feel like that sometimes. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> if you could recreate an artwork out of food, what would it be? I
2: had a lot of fun thinking about this. I want to recreate Girl with a Pearl Earring out of Pearl Couscous. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love you. And what's your best quick, cheap meal?
2: Pasta, pesto mm. pasta. Oh, yeah. Great. Yeah.
0: Packet mm. pasta, jar of pesto. Yeah. Ready mm. in three minutes. God, it's good stuff. Yeah. For your dream dinner party, right? right what are you cooking? You're hosting. Am I limited to like
2: my present? cooking ability in this dream
0: no no, no. Damn. all right good question it's just though. opened this up yeah. so much more than i anticipated no, dream, dream dream
2: well i mean what we make now if people come over is like tacos but essentially it's like a whole bunch of different dishes or options and you just yeah. put them all on the table so it's a bit of a choose your own adventure mm. yeah. caters to dietary requirements is delicious yeah. and love it but now that I'm like not limited to my culinary knowledge now, and I can make whatever like whatever I want yeah. out of my imagination, I want to. Th- I- I'm, I'm bringing floor. I'm bringing Heston Blumenthal style like gaseous desserts. Like you in, you inhale the dessert and
1: mm. soil? things
2: are on fire. Like you're eating foam? the soil. There's foam. <laughs> I mean, go- so, speaking of mouthfeel, like I feel like I mean I can't afford to eat at this restaurant, but like. Sounds pretty mouthfeely. Yeah. Lots of different feels yeah. in there, going mm-hmm. on in there. Yeah. I reckon Hess and Blumenthal, science meets food. It's a full experience. Yeah. Where does the food start and the science begin kind of thing? That would be really yes. funny if I could pull that off at a dinner party. That's what I'd want. <laughs> It'd kind of be like Science Works, but for adults. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then I have to hear what kind of music you'd play.
1: Yeah. What's your soundtrack? Like,
2: what is? How do you soundtrack this? Doctor oh, well, Who. Well, again, like coming into this, I was like, I'll oh, just play soul music because that's kind of fun. But not now. This has to change oh, this, now. Yeah. I'm thinking like Plantasia. Yeah. Not on repeat, but Gorgeous. just once. Plantasia needs to play. I'm thinking Journey to the Center of the Earth by Rick Wakeman, like synth rock opera yeah. sort of stuff. Amazing. I'm thinking. The Drive soundtrack, like the Ryan Gosling Mm -hmm. film, Drive, maybe like big synth Mm. energy in Mm -hmm. there as well. How do we bring it home, though? We have to bring this home with like... ABBA. (laughs) (laughs) Is the band called ABBA because that's the acronym of their names? I am only just learning this now. Get
1: out of my house. (laughs) (laughs) This interview is over. (laughs) Yes. Yes. The short answer is yes. I'm calling your mum. You're in so much trouble.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, any Abba diehard fans that are listening? Uh,
1: Apology not accepted. (laughs) (laughs) We
2: will continue this argument later. Okay. This is a tab that we'll open for another time.
0: Well, so we're coming. A few other people are coming and you have like your guest of honour.
2: Who's your guest of honor? Well, my guest of honor for the taco party was going to be Phoebe Waller-Bridge because oh. I just am a little bit obsessed can't with her. I can to
1: come to this party. And yes.
2: she can definitely still come to the science, exp- you know, crazy science yeah. food extravaganza. Maybe Heston himself can come. He could bring a plate mm-hmm. of like, yeah, gas cheese <laughs> <laughs> and we'll be finding cheese farm oh. for years later. Right. Do
1: you know what he's going to do? He's going to put that in like the air vents. And it's going to go through the whole house. Whoa. Yeah, and it's not bioterrorism if it's not spicy. If it's not (laughs) spicy. Remember that. There's a
0: lot we can unpack in that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We've covered the soundtrack. You've got your guest of honour, which is going to be ABBA, all four of them. Um, What's your kitchen superpower or most confident cooking skill? And Would you bring it out at this event?
2: I reckon my biggest kitchen skill is like... Being able to whip up heaps of different little things that look really impressive but aren't actually that
0: impressive—I've witnessed this superpower of yours. Yeah, like, but they've always been very impressive. I don't know what you're talking.
2: Well, about. I mean, it's a bit of like a—the whole dishes are some of a bunch of little parts. I think. Yeah, and the little parts themselves aren't wild, but then when you put them together, they're, they're really good. So it looks like I've done heaps of work in the kitchen. <laughs> But I've only done just, like, a normal amount. But everyone's like, oh, my God, you've, like, put on so much. You've done so much work. Thank you.
0: Mm. Or they could just be being nice
2: and they see right through you. Or maybe that's true and they're like, where's David Bowie's codpiece? I was expecting David Bowie's codpiece this fucking dinner. And all you could do was (laughs) chop up some extra tomatoes and put them in a bowl with some parsley on top. Well done. Well done. You will never be able to take a compliment again. Nope. (laughs) I've only just learned how to take them. I <laughs> They just mastered themselves You must teach me sometime I've learnt only recently how to not just give a compliment back When someone, you know, someone will be like Oh man, mm. you know, that was really good And I'll be like, oh yeah, you too <laughs> <laughs> So stop that, that's your first step
1: Here's a genuine compliment You're mm-hmm. kimchi Mm-hmm that is a bit of work. I've seen you because I sat on your couch and I drank wine with your boyfriend. You did. <laughs> whilst you turned your house into a kimchi factory. Yeah, and
2: I fermented the house. You
1: fermented the house. That, again, no biohazard situation there. There was no <laughs> bioterrorism. It was epic. It was delicious. And we went home with a little um, couple of goodie bags full of kimchi.
2: The reason why I started making that is I, when I was in Japan... For the first time, that was where I started my trip to go to Vietnam before I stayed there for four months. So, so Julie, who's my mum's friend, her husband, Jin, is Korean, and they'd have rice in the rice cooker always, and they'd have heaps of kimchi in their fridge constantly Mm. that Jin would make, Mm. and they'd have, like, little sheets of seaweed nori, and that was, like, a snack. So, like, if you were hungry... You could just go put some rice in a nori sheet and then mm. dump a bunch of kimchi on it and wrap it up. And it was like an instant quick snack that they would have in the house. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's where my kimchi obsession started. And then I was like, I want to make that now.
0: And then you've inspired me to make it. Yeah. Mm. I love how the, those things get passed on. I mean, you 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 helped me with the sourdough and I'll help you with the kimchi. Passing mm. on recipes is a very special thing. Mm. Um, I'd love to know about your recipe that you've, brought us
1: yeah so we've asked you to bring a recipe that's been hand-drawn and handwritten and we're very excited to see what you've brought us today do you want to tell us about what's in that little book that you've got in front of you
2: so i've brought a little handwritten recipe and i've called it lover's pumpkin and chickpea curry and the reason i've called it that is this is the first meal i made my partner almost 10 years ago now, and we're still together, so it must be good. Mm -hmm. This is pumpkin and chickpea, but I've made the same thing with pumpkin and yeah, essentially for you guys. Like, spice-wise, it's all the same.
1: Anything you want us to know about what's in it or flavour stuff or colour, texture? I was writing it
2: down last night, and so, like, the way I cook this, usually, like, it's... I don't think about what I'm doing. I kind of just go for Mm. it. So... There's a lot of room to move. I'm pretty sure I got the spices right, but yeah, there's just lots of like mustard seeds, cumin seeds, fennel seeds, onion and garlic, ginger, tomato, There's turmeric, coriander, cumin, chili powder, coconut cream, pumpkin, chickpeas, Mm. gram masala, fenugreek (laughs) leaves, coriander, Again, it's something that you can kind of play with And, you know, sometimes there's chickpeas Sometimes it's silver beets, Sometimes it's yeah. something
0: else So with that base, essentially, you can just add in any vegetables But it's like, it's, it's really the spice mix that is the magic mm. Actually, with this one too,
2: the pumpkin's pretty integral Because the pumpkin adds a lot of, like, beautiful sweetness to it yeah. mm. But everything beautiful. else It's like the pumpkin and the spices and the coconut milk pretty integral but then you can add like a few other stuff like you can add obviously chickpeas and yeah any greens that you've got to always work really well or any other vegetables Mm. you want to add into but it's also just like a really warm cozy comforting curry
1: comfort food i guess this
0: really like sums up your attitude to food you know it's Mm. about the feeling of it you Mm. can really like experiment with the ratios you can swap things out if you want it's an extension of how you create it's very you yeah just like i don't know having fun in
2: the kitchen not getting too caught up on weighing and measuring and all that sort of stuff i think we get to a point when you can just sort of play with it it's way more fun
1: where in melbourne do you love to
2: eat i love to eat everywhere in melbourne I mm. don't tend to revisit oh. restaurants that often. Yeah. I tend to try. I like to hop around and try new places. Yeah. But yeah. if I had to th- pick a place in terms of the food and the ambience and all that sort of stuff, like Umberto's around the corner from here is amazing. Oh. Yeah. Such a
0: beautiful, beautiful beautiful, beautiful restaurant. Mm.
1: It's Umberto's on High Street Thornbury.
0: Not sponsored, fan, but not open, to sponsored. To open to it. Definitely open to it. <laughs> Although maybe they won't sponsor us because we called them Umberto's. Oh, um, Umberto! Say, yeah. Oh, Umberto! Sorry, guys. Yeah, sorry, classic slip up. That's My apologies, right. Umberto in Thornbury.
1: So we touched on this very briefly at the start, but what are you working on at the moment, and what's next? What's coming out soon that our bazillions of listeners can find?
2: I can have me? been working on an EP of mine, which mm. is slowly trickling out into the world. So by time of release for this episode. Mm the EP will be out. Yes, actually yeah, totally. So by Which the time totally you're listening funny. to this, the whole EP will be out. So yeah. I'm just kind of at present working on up on the follow-up material for that too. Probably well that won't be out by the time you're listening to this, but that's something you can look forward to. There'll be probably mm-hmm. another EP or record on the way. Yeah.
1: Does it have a name?
2: The EP? Mm. The EP will be called Technicolor. Kitsch Kitchen Technicolor EP. Mm. And it will be on all of your streaming platforms, all the usuals, all the and usual.
1: So your Kitch Kitchen on Instagram. Have you got a website or what? Bandcamp.
2: I don't have a website. I have a Bandcamp. Cool. Absolutely. So as we all know, that is probably the in terms of supporting artists and making sure that your financial appreciation goes mm. directly to the artist. Bandcamp tends to be the best platform too. So yeah.
1: Yeah, and the big question that we want to know. We've touched on this a little bit. Mm. What's for dinner? Specifically,
2: specifically hot pot. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to panda hot pot. I've actually never done one,
0: <gasps>
2: or oh, at least I've, I've never done one like this. So mm. I am excited to just go in and see what is there. I know you can do like multi chamber pots yes. where like yes. you have you could have three or four different broths in there. I want one to be like viciously angry looking, <laughs> like really yeah. red. Really, with the float like floating bits of oil, totally, yeah, Mm -hmm. deep red oil on top, yeah, yeah. Again, biohazard sort of material, sort (laughs) of stuff. Wear gloves, (laughs) yeah, hazmat suit maybe. Mm -hmm. Sign a waiver, kind of thing. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. absolutely. So I want one to be like, like really angry. I have no idea. I'm excited.
1: I'm excited.
2: I'm going to drink lots of beer and eat yummy food and probably roll out of the Hot Pot restaurant. Beautiful. beautiful. Can't wait for the report. Yep. Thank Uh, you so much.
1: This has just been been wonderful. Thanks for having me. This
2: has been so fun.
1: Thank you so much for joining us at the table.
0: If you loved listening to this podcast just as much as we loved making it, you can leave a rating and a review in the podcast app that you're listening to right now.
1: And there's lots of info about our guest up on our website, and that includes the recipe.
0: And if you make the recipe, please let us know how it went. Share it on social media, hashtag the name of the recipe and tag what artists eat.
1: We'll be back in a fortnight with the next sitting and we'll have another wonderful creative at our table ready to chew on the myth of the starving artist.
0: Thanks so much for listening.